Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. With us Fridays at this time for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Appreciate that very much. Before we get started, uh, I just wanted to mention that um, uh, there was a, uh, for us in our community here, it was a, a very difficult and sad week. Many of you out there in the audience are aware of the fact that uh, the Honorable Assemblyman uh, Sheldon Silver, who served this area in a capacity of government and as a capacity of a, of, a leader, of a leadership role for many, many decades, passed away earlier this week. And uh, I just wanted to say one thing before I turn the, um, uh, the microphone, if you will, over to Malcolm. And uh, that is that as his uh, family sits Shiva literally uh, across the street from where I am sitting right now, um, I would like to remind everybody, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with the history, I'd like to at least make you aware of it, uh, that um, that uh, despite the way the um, the courts and the legal system and the media have uh, painted Shelley Silver uh, over the last few years, and maybe even longer than that, uh, I would like to um, uh, contribute uh, to the story as a member of the community where he served and as somebody who was the uh, recipient of his kindness and generosity, uh, I would just like uh, everyone out there to know that um, he was, in fact, a very kind, gentle, humble, and giving person who did a tremendous amount for this community, for individuals and families, and certainly uh, for the people of the state of New York. And um, in light of his passing and with the... And with the... Um, tendency we have uh, to focus on what the media wants us to focus on. I wanted to make sure to focus on that. And I cherished my friendship with him, and um, our, our friendship grew strongest when we were both attending the Bialystoker Shul Hashkama Minyan during that period of time in my adult life when I was uh, a regular at that Minyan, and those are encounters I will always treasure. So we remember with great fondness uh, the um, the man and the life of Sheldon Silver and extend our condolences to his son and daughters and, of course, his wife, Rosa, and their extended family who are now in the Shiva period. And, Malcolm, uh, as I said, I'll now turn it over to you. Well, I share all those sentiments. I'm, I knew Shelley for so many decades from when I came first to start the Soviet jury uh, movement and conference on Soviet jury. He was there. He had been active in that as he was in all the other causes, and he showed up for so many of the events over the years, and even as he rose in political power and prestige, he always continued, and that was his core identity. I think a lot of people, or a number of people, have to do a lot of soul-searching, because the conditions that led to his passing, I think, were horrific and inexcusable, that people who committed far worse crimes or accusations of crimes were let go, and he, at his advanced age and in poor health, was uh, was released for two days, and then they called him, made him go back, which is uh, unbelievable torture, I think, and the uh, that all those who did not and could have made sure that he he was out for COVID at least the reasons and not put in solitary to protect him, um, it's. I think it's a burden on their conscience, hopefully, and uh, people should be doing a lot of thinking. He, he deserves the tribute you paid to him, and that we all would, and we 
extend our condolences uh, to his family. He's a really wonderful family, and his wife and everyone. And I know that some of his children are very close to mine, and they were wonderful people. So I hope uh, I hope they will find an Ahama. Uh, well said, and I'll just add, because I want to make it clear that um, we will never know just how many causes, um, initiatives, organizations that are dear to us, uh, in addition to everything I said, uh, were helped by Shelley over the years. So I wanted to mention that as well, because there are a lot of people out there who could tell us uh, about, especially now, after his passing, uh, could tell us a lot about the commitments that he made and how he came through for so many especially people and um, and initiatives that uh, began with very difficult circumstances. Weekly update here on a Friday morning broadcast, JM and the AM. Malcolm Honline is with us live via telephone. I mentioned last week that we would uh, ask you about the um, uh, what, what your take is on this Anne Frank story um, in terms of who, quote-unquote, turned in her family. And maybe you could discuss it in the in the greater um, uh, picture of the Holocaust Remembrance Day, which took place yesterday, I, I thought, and again, I don't remember everything from year to year, but it seemed to me uh, that both on local level and on an international level, the day got a lot more attention than usual. I don't know if you agree with that, but what are your thoughts both about the Anne Frank uh, revelation or, or, or possibility, let's put it that way, and Holocaust Remembrance Day? Well, first, I do agree that it got more attention uh, I think a lot of that has to do uh, with the rise of anti-Semitism that everybody is feeling and the Holocaust denial that it becomes more and more uh, rampant. Uh, we see the, the examples around the world that we've talked about the anti-Semitism here. I saw that uh, a report that came out of the Jewish community of France from the, the College Juif uh, de Lyon in uh, and the, the, the result was um, uh, that the uh, uh, 75% increase in anti-Semitic attacks um, and that the people, as opposed to buildings, were account- accounted for, I think, 45% of the incidents, which is amazing. This is not a swastika on a, on a, or a tombstone you know, that's done anonymously, but personal assaults on people and use of weapons sharply up. I think that the numbers here, we see governments involved now, Algeria, others that the United States and Europe are, are going after, the, where you see it officially, and the rise in countries like uh, Poland, Germany, elsewhere, which uh, Poles and Israel show overwhelmingly people are reacting to and can go on for a long time, unfortunately, about the uh, results, but one that said that 95% of American Jews are deeply concerned and more than half have uh, have experienced anti-Semitism. So that creates a, a climate, I think, and raised the level of concern that uh, enhanced the attention paid to it. I think also uh, there were uh, more assertive efforts that um, uh, and with the diminishing number of, of survivors and the focus on them and their story, you know, it's 80 years old. People forget. Unfortunately, still the polls show that the many young people don't know and don't uh, can't recognize the names, not of Auschwitz, not of other concentration camps, uh, or the number six million, or what the implications are. So, the there were a lot of uh, reasons. The thing with Anne Frank. Um, and the, the decades-long search about who betrayed them, 
Uh, and then this uh, former FBI agent and others got involved, and they came to the conclusion that uh, the head of the Jewish community at the time gave their names, and the name was on a piece of paper that had been given to Otto Frank and his father. Um, but there are many who today d- dispute it, and people in Holland and some I've spoken to say that, that, that they do not believe that the conclusion is right, and that it was, uh, you know, it's, it makes for a great book, and they did a lot of detective work. They studied many, many documents. It's not, I don't think they reached a conclusion of hazardly, but, uh, you know, it's, 80 years later, it's very hard to take a cold case like that and try to resurrect the the uh, information. There are reasons why they concluded it, and, um, and it, it's not impossible if you be put yourself in those circumstances. Um, my wife's uh, grandfather was put exactly in that circumstance in her in in the town in Poland. And when the Nazis came to him and said to give a list of ten people to be deported, he, he the next morning and he showed up at this town square and they, he gave him the names of his family, and he was shot on the site. And there's a lot written about it. So there were heroes, uh, even in the uh, amongst the Jews in those circumstances, and there were others who may have succumbed to human nature and trying to save their own families well, we can't uh, figure it out doesn't justify it right but uh, but, it, but it does give we us... shouldn't we shouldn't jump to the conclusion that this this is absolute gospel truth right. uh what a chilling story thank you for sharing that with us but it does give us uh even though obviously we're not justifying it it does give us a perspective i, I thought the whole story with this Anne frank uh situation at least gave us a perspective of what people likely often had to go through um, during that time and the decisions they had to make. And obviously we, we hope they made the right decisions, but just the fact that people were faced with that type of circumstance, I thought uh, just for that alone, the story was worthwhile. Um, sometimes we forget that there are so many different layers of suffering that people went through. And what you just described is certainly one of those layers of suffering. Um, well, uh, let, let's talk about the possibility of Ukrainian Jews being evacuated to Israel. How likely is that going to be? Well, in, in a situational conflict, um, I, I, for one, do not believe this should be talked about. I think making the public announcements was a, is a big mistake. It sends the wrong message to the people of Ukraine while they're organizing home front defense that the, the, all these announcements are made of how they're going to take the Jews out. Well, they, they did talk about elderly Jews, Jews in need, and that would have been different. I think it's no reason to go public with that now as opposed to taking the steps organizing so you can take out the most vulnerable and maybe others. And if people want to go on Aliyah, that's fine, but they should do it, not uh, abandoning uh, the country, which becomes fodder for the anti-Semites. And we know that Ukraine has anti-Semites. The fact that despite the fact that the president, prime minister, defense minister, are all Jews today there. Um, but my hope is that there will be no war and those who want to go on Aliyah in any event and and for their own motivations, uh, should do so. Um, and God willing, nobody will will be hurt. Uh, does it look inevitable? Uh, compared to uh, one week ago, uh, I think it looks more inevitable, <laughs> if there's a phrase like that, uh, that there's going to be a conflict between Ukraine and, the, uh, and, and Russia. How, how does it look a week later to you? Well, there is a conflict. And if you know Dumbass and these other areas, it's, it's been a hot war. It's been a cold war. Uh, I think that Putin, that the message that the Europeans and the United States sent, um, although I think sometimes 
you know, making public statements also about not having troops or having troops and stuff. There's no reason to show your cards when you're dealing with somebody as smart and shrewd as Putin. Uh, I think that um, having 100,000 troops on the border is not something you can stay in long term. You know, the economic conditions, although the price of oil is shooting up, makes uh, makes Russia much more economically stable, uh, being the largest exporter of oil. And the, the the dependency of Europe on on gas uh, from um, uh, Russia is another topic that we should talk about sometime. But I think the the um, if the West really puts the markers down, and that the economic implications will be very severe, and that they will actually do things and not send confusing messages, there has to be a consistent position uh, from the, the powers in Europe and the United States and others. Uh, I think Putin. I think he has already succeeded in putting the agenda together that he wants in front of everyone. So he can say that now, you know, the United States, the president has reached out to him. NATO's reached out to him. People are talking to him about his concerns, which they did not do until now. The United States actually announced, well, announced maybe the wrong word. I know it was a news item. Uh, but they revealed that there are a number, they revealed the number of troops from each one of the 10 bases around the United States that have been put on alert to possibly go to the Ukraine. Um, well, but subsequently announced that we wouldn't send them into the Ukraine, but to the bordering countries. And again, I think sometimes the messages are mixed. I know the American people don't have the stomach for another war. At least that's the message. Um, so this, these troops would be there to protect the borders of other countries or to do something. Um, but I think we have to send a strong message. It's, it's always when you deal with leaders, strong leaders, dictators, others, you have to send a message of consistency and strength. If they don't believe your threats, then the threats are meaningless. You can put troops there. If they don't think that they're going to do anything, then it's meaningless. Uh, obviously, Ukraine on its own cannot withstand the Russian army. But, um, I mean, there will be resistance. I think there will be, it could be very bloody. And I think that would be terrible on all sides to, to, if that situation actually happens. Could that be why the U.S. leaked this type of information? Again, I don't know if it's a leak or if it was an announcement, but is that just to see at home domestically what the reaction would be? No, I think we could really to see what the reaction would be in Russia and to see, to get Putin to understand that we're really committed and we have boots on the ground that we will do the economic sanctions, which are very severe. I mean, they do matter, and and that's why I mentioned the economic conditions. So the leverage is even greater in those circumstances. Right. Usually they depend on those sanctions before they even talk about war, though. Yes, so that's what we're talking about, that we will, I think, why they enumerated some of them and even released information that there would be personal sanctions against against Putin and that they wouldn't have access to to banking, to American banking systems, to the SWIFT uh, system. That was things that we imposed on on Iran that had tremendous impact on their economy. America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com and the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline is with us. Boy, do I need your help with this one. What is Pegasus, <laughs> and uh, what role did it or didn't it have in terms of uh, its influence on Arab states, uh, and, uh, such as the UAE and others, to form a peaceful arrangement with Israel? You know, I think people 
get uh, caught up in the uh, spy stories, and everybody loves, you know, the behind-the-scenes um, expose exposés of supposed uh, efforts. I think this is something that we'll have to wait and see when the information really gets out. Uh, there's so much going on now with sub-themes and sub-plots. Um, For instance, on the NSO the whole story with NSO and, and the others, I think, is in large part an effort to destroy the cyber war capacity of Israel and the the demonization of the company and the maybe they did things wrong and they should be held to account, but so do many of these cyber companies um, because they sell something to a government that misuses it. It's not there doing it, but there are maybe legitimate questions. But I see a broader picture here where this is a deliberate drive, and I think you can demonstrate that to to uh, undermine Israel's cyber business, which is huge. You see NSO is being, being which was a leading company, yeah. uh, being crippled. So, and, and too much of this becomes, uh, the, you know, the fanciful stories, and they become expanded. And there's a lot of propaganda going on that people don't see as, as propaganda. It goes online, and it becomes the truth. It becomes a fact. So, and especially when it's an exciting story. So I think that this is, again, something we have to... So N- once but NSO created this spyware Pegasus, correct? Right. And this spyware can do some remarkable things, right, behind the scenes when, right. it, com- when it comes to, you know, the Internet, etc. Um, and supposedly this was used as a tool to to bring different countries into arrangements with the U.S., with Israel, etc. I mean, apparently it's so good, this thing. It's such great spyware and so beloved and wanted by pe- by governments around the world. They are willing, here's the key, they are willing to acquiesce to any of is. I don't want to say any of Israel's demands, but they're willing to acquiesce to deal with Israel, which they normally would not do, in order to get their hands on it. Would that be an, an accurate portrayal? I, I don't know, and I hope not. I think that the motivation for joining was, were, were many. I don't think Pegasus played a, a critical role. That's critical role. There was a lot of negotiations, a lot of discussions, but that's part of the demonization process. That you say that there wasn't legitimate reasons for them to do it. They did it because Israel held the Pegasus over them, which they did not. And I think you know it, it, it exaggerates the influence and role. Look, the, the the technology is there. Russia, Iran, Russia, others are all using things to manipulate the the internet to to hold the people hostage, to exposure, to to ransomware, even criminals uh, manipulated and and have systems to do it. Uh, this was not intended for that purpose. It's very sophisticated. This is Israel's cyber industry, and I think this is a, a very severe blow to everybody, not just NSO. And should look. That's why I'm saying, look at the sub themes. Look at the who has stands to gain from it. Who, who, you know, uh, what other agendas are there? Wow. So this this story could be just completely blown out of proportion. Uh, yes, it could be blown out of proportion, or the blame is misappropriated, right. or the you know how, how uh, people have technology. We have rockets. You know, rockets can be used to defend countries, or rockets can be used to be offensive. It's what the countries do with it, with the technology. It's how it's it's used or manipulated. Uh, again, I don't know enough of the technology right. and understand the you know the all the applications. Um, 
Right. The portrayal, though, is that but, uh, that that, but that, that the every- larger image is certainly clear. Right. But the portrayal is that everyone's desperate for this rocket. In other words, like that's, that's <laughs> yeah. the portrayal that everybody. Well, governments were. Yeah. Right. Now the, nobody the, wants to touch it. I think. A Pegasus. Now nobody wants to touch. People are afraid. Governments are afraid that uh, who, who have to be responsive to public opinion and stuff. There are people who can't. Uh, come, countries and companies that canceled their contracts with NSO. Wow. Unbelievable. Um, ISIS is, uh, even though some of us were under the impression that they're not nearly as active as they were, with what's happened over the last few days, these revelations about hostages that they're keeping, uh, etc., um, it seems that they're, they are much more active than we thought. ISIS has been regrouping. I, I, I did mention it a couple of weeks ago right. that we estimate 10,000 soldiers, others. But the, the real um, highlight became this prison um, attack, which they, uh, where thousands of former ISIS fighters uh, were being held in, in Syria, and a number of strikes against uh, military forces in Iraq show that the ISIS in Syria and Iraq is is uh, growing in every regularly, uh, and this is three years after they lost uh, the last uh, patch of territory of what was once their uh, caliphate. Uh, U.S. has conducted airstrikes and given intelligence and ground troops um, in the Bradley vehicles, uh, fighting vehicles, to help uh, cordon off the prison. It, the prison has been taken back. Uh, but the cost is very high. In uh, the Kurds are were given responsibility for guarding these uh, a number of these prisons where former ISIS fighters were held, and a number lost their lives in the in the process. But uh, it, it's an indication and a reminder that ISIS is still around. Yeah, um, is it a big deal that Hariri is out of the political scene in Lebanon? Yes, it is a big deal. And, uh, again, very little attention paid. But in a sense, it isn't because he's done it before. He left in 2016 to go to Saudi Arabia. It came back again, kicked out again. He, he headed the, uh, the foreign party. And uh, I think that they, that the bottom line is that they are, um, his living, leaving um, could mean that uh, Hezbollah will, will become more assertive. He had 20 members in his party. He was the leader of the Sunnis. Um, and a, a rally, a figure around whom they could rally. Um, it, the, there's a lot of uncertainty now about uh, which doesn't bode well for the chances that the government can deal with the horrific economic crisis that Lebanon is uh, is facing. And the electoral there's elections supposedly coming up in in a country that is facing a financial meltdown uh, since the civil war in 1975 till 1990. This is a uh, Really, uh, his his decision to leave the country permanently uh, it leaves a vacuum there, and that Hezbollah was looking to fill it all the time. Uh, and we see the divisions are very deep within society, and um, we'll have to see to, to how they can capitalize on his uh, on his leaving. But you saw Lebanon at the same time announce that they prepared to have renewed talks with Israel over the Mediterranean issues, uh, the land that both of them, uh, area that they both claim in the Mediterranean, which is supposedly oil rich. Um, uh, so we'll have to see whether 
um, that in, fi- in fact uh, moves. And if ever the, the, the 18-year-old UN resolution requiring Hezbollah's disarmament will ever become a fact. Who represents Lebanon at talks like that? Do they have a stable government enough to send a representative? Well, they still have President Aoun, who wants to get out. It was, uh, was a Christian, was pro-Israel. I met with him during those days. He turned and became a Hezbollah agent, and um, he's still the head of the government. Uh, but the government hardly functions. It's it's uh, clearly it's in shambles. What did you think of the prime minister's statements regarding Iran? That even if there is a deal, Israel will not back down in terms of their plans regarding Iran. Well, I think it's a message to a number of uh, parties, the U.S. included, that uh, with the reports that that Israel that the United States is moving towards some sort of an interim deal, a less for less deal. I would say, uh, which means that the, each side gives off less. The, the real uh, fallacy in all of this, which I've said many times here, is that you know that they've enriched to 60% and they can get to 90%, which is weapons level. You know that they've been shooting off the rockets, even though they didn't succeed in getting into outer space, but they, they're testing the ballistic missile capacity. That's what they're doing. The, the satellites are secondary or maybe even not important at all because under the U.N. sanctions, they're not supposed to fire and test ballistic missiles, so they say they're doing it as a space program and therefore can continue the ballistic missile research. They worked on weaponization. We know that they're putting in the R-6s and other very fast centrifuges, which means that even if they give away let's say, the, the stockpile of 60% uranium, they can reproduce it any time. And we, we don't have access to the secret places. They don't let the International Atomic Energy Agency even get into that. And so I think it's a message to the negotiators. By the way, we saw interesting things that just came out now about how the members of the team are are leaving uh, including Richard Nephew, who was the deputy head of the team led by Mali, because they felt that the positions were too weak. And uh, there are at least two others that have been uh, reported to have left. Um, and that it shows that the, the divisions within the group, which can, and, and many who feel that the U.S. is not taking a strong enough stance, but there are others, Jake Sullivan, others who came out with statements saying that time is running out, we're going to move ahead. Uh, I think they don't want to see a breakdown in the talks if it's not necessary, but if uh, if it is, then uh, the sanctions that they've talked about better be strong, better be immediate, uh, and and move. we see how the Qatari foreign minister is going to Iran this week. The uh, foreign minister of Iran is going to India. We see Africans there and others there. So they're, they're moving ahead all of this time, and they are now with the price of oil up, their economy is a little better. It's it's in shambles. The, the currency is worthless. The uh, internal situation of half the country in, in drought. Um, but the upcoming visit of the Emir of Qatar to the United States may have some implications in terms of trying to foster direct U.S.-Iran talks. Iranians have said both things, that they're ready, that they would consider direct talks with the U.S. Others statements saying, no, it can only come after they agreed to, to stop uh, it's hard to know, and with tension deflected to the Ukraine, you know nobody even follows what goes on in Geneva generally. So the, um, I mean, U.S. and Israel did meet over it and try to coordinate their positions, and I think the statement reflects the fact that they're not on the same page totally about the tough stand that Israel 
thinks is and and all the others in the Middle East think it's really essential, and perhaps the effort to to reach a deal to uh, freeze the the uh, production at this point. But uh, as I said, I'm not a big believer that that will really set them back. Um, uh, you know, they they are testing more and more advanced rockets that, that we saw just in the last uh, in the last days again. Um, they're moving ahead, the Iranians, all the time on, on their uh, uh, exploration, the projects that they're doing. So we shouldn't rest on anything that uh, anything that the Iranians say. Um, the, the new uh, missiles that they were reported to be uh, working on could go up to 3,000 miles, which means they can hit anything in the European countries as well. And they have now the drones that they gave to the Houthis can hit Israel. They have a 930-mile kilometer range. Uh, so Iran is not sitting uh, back and, and just waiting for the outcome of the negotiations. They're moving ahead all the time. Is that why we keep hearing about possible reconciliation between Israel and Turkey? Because just as Iran continues to reach out to the neighbors, Israel better make sure to do the same? Well, I think the reach out comes mo- uh, even more from Erdogan, who feels more and more isolated, and his economic conditions are terrible, and he knows that he faces uh, a really tough political election in a year or so, and that he has a deadline that on a personal level, a political level, an economic level, his uh, re-election or, or leadership could be challenged. And I think he's he's reaching out to a lot of countries in the region uh, in a very high-profile way, you know, meeting with, uh, there will be a meeting between the president of Israel, we'll visit Turkey next month. And uh, he had a, he phone he called the Erdogan called Herzog to express condolences on his mother's passing, and he, um, you know, they, they, Erdogan does what's pragmatic for Erdogan. In the meantime, he still hosts the, the Hamas leadership in, in Istanbul. He still continues in some of his, uh, you know, supporting the radical Muslim Brotherhood. It's, it's not a conversion. He's a, he's very clever, and he knows how to change and be a chameleon to, to meet the circumstances. Obviously, we want to see Turkey and Israel in, in good terms. You know, the economic, the business exchanges never went down during all this time. So it means that the people of Turkey didn't back off of, of the relationship with Israel. Um, and as there, were, there are 11 flights a day during the summer to, to Israel from Turkey uh, for all those who fly Turkish air. And the, um, uh, the community itself there is diminishing and, and smaller and smaller, but he does meet with them and uh, in high-profile ways. So we'll have to see whether this is uh, uh, in, uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing or some sort of a real transformation or how long it will last. Speaking of trips, by the way, you should mention the President of Israel is heading to the UAE as well, um, which is the first place. Next week. Right. This, yeah, this coming week. Yeah, yeah this coming Sunday. Also a historic visit and... Uh, you know, the, the, I hear uh, Arab leaders and others, you know, say, well, now it's a new era, meaning that uh, uh, sort of shifting the onus for everything that happens to, to Netanyahu. Uh, that's the underlying theme to say that that's the reason why things are, are better now. Uh, but I think, you know, the, the real circumstances are all the things we talked about, Iran, the, the reality on the ground, things moving forward. They see the UAE benefiting and signing a new deal. There was this $95 million commitment that two countries made to advancing um, uh, high-tech companies in both countries. 
uh, and many other things that are in the offing and these huge funds that are being created to to encourage investment, mutual investment and exchanges. So this is, I think that's also a, a motivator to others. Uh, we should mention, by the way, because we spoke about Holocaust Remembrance Day, that, uh, and, and I know this is going on, you know, in so many contexts around the country, not just Jewish stuff. Uh, but there's a county school board in Tennessee that voted to ban the uh, graphic novel, as it says about the Holocaust, a uh, mouse by uh, Art Spiegelman, and I th- and it was a ten nothing vote, by the way. And I know that this is a you know a trend in general, book banning. Uh, at the moment here in the United States by school boards, etc. But I thought we should point that out, that all these little battles are being lost nationwide uh, as we try to you know, keep books like that in prominent places uh, in our schools. Yes. So, and the, well, the argument that the school board used is that there are inappropriate pictures and other things and that they had a vote of 10 to 0. Um, they'd say they're not going to stop their Holocaust education efforts but just uh, they felt that this book was inappropriate for the kids. It's being used in many places, which did not deem it until now inappropriate. Uh, why did Israel buy so many Novavax vaccines? I didn't even know that, what the Novavax company is. Is it a new vaccine that's out? No, but they're, they're trying to buy enough for the fourth shot. Wow. That um, you know, Israel today still is having record numbers and per capita probably the highest record, um, the highest number in the world at least has reported, uh, and hopefully it's going to peak, and it's expected to peak in the next uh, week, and then decline, as it has in parts of the United States, including in New York, uh, and they are, uh, but Israel's trying to stay a step ahead with the, um, and there are other new vaccines that are being invented, and the new pills, which some in Israel, doctors in Israel said they think that everybody will just take a pill once a year or a shot once a year for a while. There are new variants that have been discovered including here in the United States and New York, but nobody knows what the, what they will mean. But travel to Israel right now is open, I guess, under the proper circumstances. If you you have to be fully vaccinated and within a certain time limit and you file the papers, yes, and you have to take you know tests when you leave and before you leave and when you come, like you do in most countries. And um, so, so now Israel's uh, opening for business, and slowly but surely we see people... Tourists are coming back. Airplane flights are full, uh, and hopefully that will be, as spring comes, we will see a new dawning of, of people being able to go to Israel freely and see their kids, their families, uh, holy places, everything. Let's hope. Let's hope. Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. God willing. Mal- Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Friday, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM in the AM.